0: Thanks for checking out the Airborne Youth Podcast. This week you'll be hearing a teaching from Ben Evenson.
1: We got, we got Johnny Kaufman on his exit night here. We thought it was his last night back at the uh, Get Air night party, and um, but then he ended up changing plans a little bit and stayed a little longer, so we get him one more time. So anyway, that's exciting. So I asked him, I said, like, John is, John is such a man of passion, okay? If you've ever hung out with him, talked to him. He's like, for real, and he goes for it, and he hears the word of God. He hears what God's calling him to do, and he's like, you know what? I'm going for broken. I'm going to chase this thing. But he does it with wisdom, too, because he got this word about North Carolina two years ago or something, right? How long ago did you first hear about North Carolina? A year ago. two years. Look at that. Even John's life was transformed and changed at a a fall retreat, right? Dang, that's so good. That was good. That was a good time. But a year ago, John got this word about North Carolina, and he could have been like, oh, God's calling me. I'm just going to run. But he said, you know what? i got to wait for the timing, because there's the Word of God, and there's the timing of the Word of God. And they're both incredibly valuable and incredibly important, because if you step into God's word at the wrong time, okay, or God's promise at the wrong time, it can be destructive. Does that make sense? You know, it'd be like stepping into marriage when you're 14. God has a plan for you, and he's got this word for you and a future for you, but if you step into it at the wrong time, like, kaboom, right? It's problematic. You know, and I'm sure there's an exception. Somebody's out there going, well, I know a 14-year-old that got married, and they're doing fine. Like, but you know what I'm saying, Right? Does that make sense? If you step into God's thing at the wrong time, it'll mess up your life. So you have to be constantly listening, not just running on a single word. Like Abraham, right? God's like, go sacrifice your son. Okay, God. You know, but he's like, God, please change the word. Please give me something more here. And God provided a better word at the right time, and it meant a change in direction. Does that make sense? Got it? Johnny's going to share a few minutes with you guys because he just has stuff on his heart. I was like, dude, you got any parting words, challenge, or c- encouragement? So give Johnny your, yeah, get up. Get up. <laughs> Honor the carrier of the word of God. Yeah, here we go.
0: Yes. I love you guys. All right. I'm going to, I know they say swipe or no swiping, but I'm totally swiping this. Sorry, Jared. All right. They're still going. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated, hecklers. So, even before I get into this, I just felt like God was, you know, as we were worshiping, was just giving you guys all, like, authority. Like, He's giving you, like, I mean, you already have it, but you're going to have an awareness of it. So, and I think that comes with recognizing our identity and who we are, and that is we are sons and daughters made righteous in God through Christ. but it's so simple. It's it's right, and Paul, you know, writes about it. But it's like, so I feel like if you're struggling with anything, whatever it is, what doesn't matter what it is, God's gonna like, He's already given you the authority. You're gonna have the rec- you're gonna have the recognition of it, and you're gonna like realize the authority you have to kind of just break through that just by declaring that that phrase. So, could you all repeat after me? Whether you're son or daughter, make it accurate, of course. Be like, I am a son or daughter. I am a daughter. Oh, did you just say solder? Anyway, that's what it sounded like to me. Made righteous in God through Christ. Yes, Amen. All right. So, what is our theme this month? This means. This means. All right. This crowd over here, you know, you really got it. All right. So, this means war. So, what does that immediately think make you think of? Battles. All that other good stuff. Soldiers. Um, the first thing I thought about was Moses. Now you would think, why Moses? Like what, you know, he did encounter battles, obviously, during the Exodus. But one thing, you know, Moses obviously is, is known as this, this man of God that he's just like this hero of the Old Testament beyond what any of us think we could actually be. Like isn't, like, isn't that like kind of a truth? Thing? It's not an actual truth because we can do greater things. But it's kind of one of those things that we think about, like, oh, if I could, if I could just be like Moses, that'd be, that'd be a cakewalk. No, it probably wouldn't. I mean, Moses, Moses like, killed a dude. I don't want to be like that. Well, that's an extreme example, of course. But, okay, so my point being is that Moses is just like you and I, being prepared through his entire life for what God was preparing him through everything he went through, being raised up in Pharaoh's family, being the brother of Ramses who would then drive him out of a country he grew up in, you know, out of slavery. He drove all that stuff away. So what I'm going to read from is Exodus. Just might as well get right into the word. Um, and it is Exodus, where did my highlight go? hmm Crickets. Okay, so it's basically the, the drying up of the Red Sea and the direction of the, uh, the cloud. So it's uh, Exodus 13. I'm going to skip around a little bit in these uh, couple of chapters here. Um, but Exodus 13:17, which I'll get into the why that verse is awesome in a second. Um, now, it came about when Pharaoh had let the people go that he let them go because of all the stuff that had happened before, you know, all the ten plagues and all that. So he let them go. Um, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, let the people change their minds when they see war, and they return to Egypt. So, or lest, sorry. So what that means is they could have easily gone north, just kind of gone along the Mediterranean Sea, through uh, the Philistines' land, and they would have been right there. No problem. Probably a couple, you know, a week-long trip. But no. So they actually started going up that direction. So if you're looking, oops, stage I don't have a whiteboard, so you're going to have to visualize with me. Egypt, right here, okay? Red Sea, right here. That will be my sleeve, even though it's blue. So you have Egypt, Red Sea, but then you have this little strip of land, like right here, Mediterranean Sea up here, Egypt, Mediterranean, red. But you have this little strip of land that leads kind of right up to Israel, Mount Sinai, all that good stuff. However, so they start going this way, and then Moses says, well, we're going to turn back around. So he says, hence God led the people around the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. It's actually the Sea of Reeds is the proper translation. And the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. What is a martial array? Big words. This is NASB, but it's a bright red Bible, so that's why I picked it. Um, What it means is they they were in uh, military formation. So you have 600,000 men. And that, that says the number not including children. And uh, what they literally say was, um, what was the word? It was like an assortment. Yeah. So an assortment of a bunch of other people. Um, yeah, a mixed multitude is what they call it. So that's like women, children, animals, a whole bunch of stuff. So, but he has them all in military formation. Now, why is that? Because if you have 600,000 plus people leaving a land, one guy leading them, that's a lot of chaos, unless you have somebody like Moses who is raised up by Pharaoh, knowing the ways of military, knowing the ways of army, so he can easily just be like, okay, set people in place, get these things in line, and they just march out like an army. So, like you have Moses that's being prepared before any of this stuff happens. So, what happens? Where are we at? We're in Egypt. They're going up towards this way. They turn back around. I'm getting to that. And Moses, uh, skipping down to verse twenty. Then they set out from Succoth and camped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. So they haven't gotten to the wilderness yet. And this is one of the coolest things about this. And this is actually God using what Egypt would recognize as military tactics. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way. And in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. Now, what this means is in Egyptian times, and actually Alexander the Great would then use this tactic after he took over Egypt to lead his military troops. Now, before night vision and all the cool fancy stuff that we have today, I know it's a boring military lesson, but believe me, it's really cool. So, what they have is they would have this. It's a good example. I'm gonna hopefully the music doesn't fly around. So, this right here, there it goes. It'll just will just shake, shake, shake it off. So this right here is a guy in front of all of the crowds, and this is a giant thing of fire. And what it does is it sends a smoke signal by day. So during the day, they'd march, and all the Armenian troops and everything would see smoke just rising from the front of the troops, from the front line, and they would follow that because they'd have banners, of course, but that would be the easiest thing to see, so they'd follow that. And then at night, when they wouldn't see the smoke anymore, they would just see the light, then they'd know it's time to make camp. But what does God do? He uses that same tactic and brings himself, the angel of the Lord, whatever it is, he says, was going before them in a pillar of cloud that would represent to the, if, the, if you're in the Egyptian armies, and you see them walking away, you know, your slaves, your former slaves, and you see this pillar of cloud, you're, you're just thinking, okay, that's Moses leading them on the way with a big thing of fire. But no, it's actually God right in front of them leading the way the same way. So that comes into play in the sense that what happens later, all right, leave them on the way. He did not take away the pillar of the cloud by day um, before the people. So now they're drying up the Red Sea. The verse uh, Chapter 14, now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, tell the sons of Israel to turn back. Say, what? We're leaving, and now we're coming back? So, you know, that's, that's Egypt, Red Sea, and they're coming back this way. So they went this way, and they're like, no, war. So they came back. And they're all freaking out. They're like, so Pharaoh and all that got his stuff ready. He sees them coming back. So now he sees this pillar of light and this cloud of smoke coming towards him. And they're like, what are they, what are they doing? They must be lost. Pharaoh thinks they're lost. So he gets everything ready. He gets his chariots ready. He's like, well, they're lost. They have no way of getting out. I'll just recapture them. So then the Egyptians chased after them. Pharaoh drew. And then they said to Moses, It is because we are of no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. So they're freaking out. They're all mad at Moses, like, what are you doing? Why are you taking us back? And, but Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he has accomplished for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. Sandlot reference, if you haven't seen it, watch it. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent, I'm not telling you need to shut up. I just thought that was really cool because they're complaining all the time. It um, said, so Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. So, and he tells them what to do at the Red Sea. So, what do they do? This is where it gets really interesting. Okay. All right. Let me find it. I thought I had it highlighted. I didn't. Okay, so at this point, I'll just tell you what it is because I can't find the verse. They're coming back. So, as they're coming back, that pillar of light, do you remember the part then? It says he then goes behind them. What does this do? It does two things. One, it confuses the heck out of the Egyptians. Because they think they keep coming towards them. And they think it's going to get easier. But then it's not. Because what actually happened was, as they're coming back this way, Moses then gets the word of God and tells them to go to the Red Sea. So they're going to the Red Sea. And... Now the pillars behind them and all that. Um, so what does that mean in the sense of military tactics? So two things. They see the pillar of clouds. They think they're marching. They see the pillar of light. Two things happen. The Egyptians think that they're making camp. What that actually does is because they're going, the, uh, the Jews are actually going by night as well. So they actually, with the pillar behind them, get to keep moving forward blindly, but they keep moving forward because the Egyptians actually think that they are moving and stopping, I mean, and camp. So, all that to say this. I should have made more notes. I had my whiteboard. So, they're stopped. So, the other thing is, if there was a blackout right now and somebody shined a light right in your eye, it's really tough to see. I would have asked for a demonstration, but I don't want to go for the blackout. So, you get a light shining in your eye. That's the way this pillar of fire was to them. You can't see anything behind it. If I shine this in your eye in a pure blackout, you're not going to be able to see me. If I shine it in front of me, you're going to be able to see me. So, what it does is it blinds the Egyptians to seeing everything ahead of this light. So, you know, God causes everything, and that's how this cool thing. So, you know, and they split the Red Sea, and they go through it. That was a long-winded explanation. I know that. So, I'm sorry. Boring history. But... We say this means war is think about everything that went in to the preparedness for Moses. Think about everything that went into the preparedness of you know him being raised up by the Egyptians, by Pharaoh, and it just it baffles my mind. It doesn't baffle me, I should say. I think it just blows my mind how God works and how that's a nice drawing. Man, I really bored you, didn't I? I bored a lot of people. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sorry. I'm a history nerd, so... Well, I'm not saying she's bored. Drawing. Keep drawing. Do your thing. All right. All that to say this. God, even when you're in the most boring times, like right now, (laughs) learning about Military history lessons of the Egyptians that God Himself used to confuse the Egyptians. He prepares you for the victories He's already given you. So, that was a cool word for all the boring stuff. But I want you to think about it even more. So, they cross the Red Sea, they never have to see them again. Yes, they do spend 40 years in the wilderness. However, they never have to see the Egyptians again. That is one promise. But, but the whole point is that Moses throughout his entire life being raised up, learning everything that he needed to know to lead them out of Egypt as a general in the armies. Because they did then go into battle with Joshua and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, yeah, he just, he prepares you. And, and I think the, one of the best things is when you read, you know, Jeremiah 29, just one little quick thing. If you read the whole thing. We always read number 11 where it says, I know the plans I have for you. But what a lot of people skip is that right now they're in exile in Babylon. That's where that's the context of where that's being said. And he says, this is a message from God of the angel armies, Israel's God, to all the exiles I've taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. They're in the enemy's territory. Build houses and make yourselves at home. Put in gardens and eat what grows in that country. Marry and have children. Encourage your children to marry and have children so that you will thrive in that country and not waste away. Make yourselves at home and work for the country's welfare. Pray for Babylon's well being. That's a big one. Pray for your enemies. It's already being taught. If things go well for Babylon, things will go well for you. Yes, believe it or not, this is the message from God of the angel armies, Israel's God. Don't let all those so called preachers, and he tells them to be wary of false teachers. This is God's word on the subject. As soon as Babylon's 70 years are up and not a day before, I'll show up and take care of you as I promised and bring you back home. I know what I'm doing. I have planned it all out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hoped for. And what does all of this have to do with anything? It's your faith. Faith is the assurance of things we've hoped for. And what is hope? Literally, in the Greek, the word that's used is, means a joyous expectation. the way I like to think about that is like Christmas morning, my sister and I would sit up on the steps. Before we come down, we weren't allowed to see anything. Some years it would be one present. Some years it would be a little more. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. But we knew there was at least something. Yeah, it could have been socks, but it was something. We didn't know what it was, but we knew it. And that's the way I like to think about our hope for God, our hope with God, is that there's a joyous expectation of everything he's planned for you. And one last little tidbit. After this wonderful history lesson, I know school, right? Think about the area you live in and what Josh was talking about with the prophecy before, you know, about William Penn's prophecy coming here. Our area code is 717. Seven being the number of completeness and, like, total perfection. 17 in biblical terms is the number of victory. So the area you live in is perfect victory. So, yes. Yes.
1: Yikes, holy cow, that's good. Come on, John. Yes. You guys ready to go to war? Come on. So here's what we're going to do, and I'm going to keep this pretty brief. I'm going to just move on to a great big challenge for you guys, because every week this month, as we carry this theme out of this means war, we are declaring war each week on something different and something specific. So this is our call to you. It's up to you. We can't do it on your behalf. We're trying. You know, we pray for you guys every week, you know, like a lot and sometimes every day. But you guys have to take a step into it. So this is our challenge for you for this week is to declare war on complacency. Does anybody know what complacency, who can define complacency for me? Because I know a lot of people are like, I kind of think I know, but yeah. Nope, not quite Complaints. Staying in the same place you were before? Okay. I didn't really know how to define it either, so I looked it up. Check it out, all right? I kind of know, like, what it is to be complacent, but, you know, Webster is so good at this. It's like his job, you know? So, anyway, here we go. So, the word complacent is an adjective, so it's a describing word. Describing someone something, right? Got it? You, you guys, English, it's more school. John? History, now English, who's gonna do math? I don't know. Okay. Ah. <laughs> I'm joking. This is good. Okay. Welcome to it, guys. Life is learning. Get used to it. If you hate school, whatever. I don't know. I didn't love school either, but I didn't exactly hate well, I might have hated school, but I learned not to. Okay. Here we go. Complacent means pleased, especially with oneself one's merits which would be their accomplishments right advantages situation etc so you're extremely pleased with oneself your situation your life Everybody, anybody feel that way like pretty pleased with me any liars you are too anyway got you right but here's the kicker this is where it turns to complacency because that just sounds like wow confident or proud or something like that right but here's the, here's the little next portion of it. It says, often without awareness of some potential danger or defect, self-satisfied. So it's this reality of living in a world where, wow, everything's so perfect and being oblivious to the fact that there's risk and there's danger and there's a possibility, okay? How many of you think a complacent warrior is a good situation? So I racked my brain on this because I was like, I don't know if this Webster is not going to give the clearest picture of what it means to be complacent. So I was like, I wonder if there's a movie, you know, I was racking my brain, and then I got one. How many of you are not allowed to watch R-rated movies? Yikes. Okay, I think we got all the bad parts out of this, but otherwise don't tell your parents. Amelia, you ready with that? Where's Amelia? Do you know how to do it, Whitney? Where's Amelia? There she is. (laughs) Da-da-da-da! Amelia, we did get this edited properly, right? We got all the bad parts out for the young ones? Okay. But here, it's just, I had to use it because it, listen, it so well depicts, it just depicts the perfect reality of Complacency, and I was like, "This is it. I just have to use this clip." So, pay close attention. Go when you're ready, Amelia. Kevin loves this movie. It's one of his favorites. He watches R-rated movies. Play. Yes, yeah, Wally.
0: <laughs>
1: Turn it up, way up. Well, then what do you want to do? I don't know. Something. Wow. Make a place great. Look, I'm tired of this. It. So if you can't fool the straws, you have to do something to good. So
0: Sweet home. B is for by and large, your very best friend. Mm-hmm. Time for lunch.
1: In a cup. Feel beautiful. Stunning,
0: I know, honey. Men. Attention, Axiom Shoppers. Try blue. It's the new red. Ooh.
1: Right, you got that? Did anybody get their spirits limed? Don't tell your parents. I'm kidding. It's not really our, but I totally had you going, didn't I? Yes. Okay, so listen. Do you guys get what I'm saying here? Like, this is like you've seen Wally. Raise your hand if you've not seen Wally at all. Okay, it's this It's okay. I don't know what that one was. That might have been the other movie. No. Listen. Shh. Okay, Wally is this whole pre-like concept that the Earth has been destroyed because there's absolutely everything was killed because humans overran it. There's no life on the whole planet, but there's this little robot Wally that it, like picks up trash all day. And one day he finds a plant, and it's the only life on Earth anymore. And what's happened is that years ago, before like when everything depleted, they built this big spaceship that floats around up in the sky that everybody went to to get away from the dead planet, you know, because there was no chance, right? And then they all live on this thing, and they've gotten to this place now that they've lived their entire lives, and everything about their lives is about their comfort, their happiness, and it's just like, literally, and they're like, I think we missed the part at the beginning that was like, want to go play golf? You know, yeah, let's go hit some virtual golf balls, you know? And it's like a little bit of reality captured in a kind of exaggerated picture where The whole thing, if you see the announcements, it's like, your happiness is our greatest desire. And what is your needs? And, you know, it's like, you know, and like they live this entire life to the point where they're very satisfied. Kind of. But they're completely oblivious to the reality that they're at incredible risk of loss. If, in fact, they were ever under attack by any outside force, can you imagine that army? Like, is there an app for this? Like, seriously, can you imagine going to war in your, like, little floaty suit and, you know, like, hello, in a cup, you know. We're living this world, right? But listen, our world is getting, and especially here in America, we're kind of, like, radically spoiled. And it's the blessings of God that have been poured out into this country that we get to be here tonight and not worry about, the military walking in and arresting every one of us for talking about God. Because that's not normal in the world. I know, it's like, oh, no, that's everybody. No, like, it's pretty small, limited number of places on planet Earth where you can do what we're doing right now and not be arrested for it. So there are some great, wonderful blessings that God has poured out in America, and we are incredibly blessed. But the danger and risk that we step into is complacency going like, look at us, we're Americans and be completely, and lose track or lose sight of the risk and the possible dangers that threaten us. And I'm not talking about ISIS particularly. I'm not talking, I'm talking about a real deal spiritual war that we live in every single day against our enemy, the devil, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We are at war. And if we live our lives as though, We're sitting back in our little like hover chair, getting our meals in cups, playing virtual golf on our Wii, right? The minute an attack comes, we are screwed because we're completely unaware and living in a complacent world that says, it's all fine, right? And I want to challenge you, Jesus Christ did not live and walk his daily life in this like La, la, it's all good. Like, he saw what was evil. He saw what was wrong. He called it for what it was with straight-up authority, and people stepped back and went, who is this guy that speaks with such authority? They didn't go, oh, my gosh, he's one of those radical Christians. Because he didn't come within a big agenda. He didn't come with this, like, with this, like, oh, it's okay. I just want to pat everybody on the back and love them. He came to deliver people from a reality of bondage, living under the thumb of Satan and his lies and all the crap that he had dealt out to their world. And you can look around your world right now and see a whole lot of the crap the devil has dealt. But oftentimes we make this like false reality that we pull down over our eyes. And if you see more of the Wally movie, it ends up that there's this guy who's the captain of the ship. And Wally brings this life form back, which is hope for the world to be recreated all over again. There's almost like a gospel reality in this whole thing. There's this little seed that comes that's like, this is hope that we could have life back on earth again. And the captain of the ship says, we're going to destroy it because I don't, because he wants to shield them. What? It was his, What's... oh, it was the autopilot of the ship? Whatever. Right. I haven't seen it in a while. Okay. But essentially there was this there was this overall prevailing force and reality and authority that was like, no, we're gonna crush this, we're gonna st- destroy this because it would mess up our perfect little happy reality that we live in every single day with our lunch in a cup. But the greater reality that was being hidden is this is not life to float around in a hovercraft and play virtual golf. Life is you get back to planet earth and things grow and things thrive and you have freedom. Did that look like freedom on that thing? There's not freedom. There they were in bondage to a chair because they were incapable of walking, which is a really funny scene in the movie later because they all get out of their chairs and they just okay. It's like they're in they're in complete bondage and they're happy. They're happy in their bondage. They actually don't want out of their chair because they've gotten so complacent not wanting anything greater than what they've got right now. And while they can sit back and go, i got the life. It's good. Look around me. Everybody else looks just like me. How can this be bad? And we look at the exact same world that we live around us today and we go, Everybody else is suffering and everything else has gone bad and their family sucks just like mine. It's like, guess this is it. And we fall into complacency within our lives and within our world and we just go like, what's there to fight for? This is fine. I'll, I'll deal with it. Rather than declaring war on those lies that keep us bound to a stupid little hover chair with no freedom to go anywhere but where that track takes us. It's called sin. It'll take you all kinds of places, tied down and strapped, and the minute you realize how broken it is, and you try to get out of that chair, you just flop <laughs> you know, you ah, you like roll around like like sound effects good. Oh, yeah, you know it, right? So this is the challenge, guys, and I want to just give this to you in this reality because part of you is like, it's really easy to be like, oh, that sounds really good. I'm going to do it. It's like, a New year, it's like a New Year's resolution, right? It's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to exercise, right? That's like 90% of America makes a commitment to exercise and eating healthy, right? You know why? It's because we like bloat ourselves with sugar and sweets for the last month and a half of the year, and that by... Does anybody else by, like, New Year's Eve go, like, I never want to see chocolate again because I want to vomit? Really? I, was, I got there. We went to the New Year's thing at the, at the Hershey Lodge, and I got this whole cup of chocolate. I was like, I know I'm supposed to want this, but it just, like, makes me ill to think about eating it. Because I've had cheesecake and pumpkin pie and apple pie and hot chocolate and good Lord for weeks, right? Anybody else? So I think it's like, I'm going to eat healthy now because my body hates me. Right? But I think, listen, shh, you guys can sit in church and youth group, whatever, and you can hear really good truth and go like, yeah, that sounds really great. I'm going to do that. And you'll get up tomorrow morning, read your Bible, be like, yeah, this is really good. And my life is, you know, I'm on track and I'm talking to God. And I'll put the worship music on this week. I'm going to listen to WJTL, right? Whatever it might look like, right? It's like, I'm going to commit. And like everybody else who joins the gym on January 1st or 2nd, and never visits again after January 3rd, we run out of steam striving out of our own flesh to stay good enough and to stay in that place with God and have a relationship with God. So if we can't do it by striving and trying and working, how, how is it possible? I have an answer. And it's a really—it's another really amazing thing that God did for us, that Jesus did for us. Because you know that before Jesus came and did what he did, God had not extended grace. The word grace is not even used in the Old Testament. The word grace is a brand new concept that came with Jesus. The first time it's used in the Bible is in Luke 2 talking about Jesus as he was growing and the grace of God was upon him. First mention of grace. You can look it up in your concordance and you're going to see a whole bunch of grace, the word grace used, but it's talking about, and they were graced with, you know, beautiful garments and they were graced. It was It's not the grace of God, which is the ability and the enabling to do what only the power of his son at the cross and the resurrection can accomplish in you. That's the grace of God. We are incapable of living up to God's measure to what we need to be to step out of complacency. We can't do it without the grace of God. And there's this verse. Here we go. Titus 2, it says, 11. For the grace of God has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly lusts. That we may live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. I'm not going to read it because I know it. I learned it when I was like eight, I think, in awana. Right? Anybody do awana or like Pioneer Girls and Boys or something like that? Okay, like, yeah, serious. It's kind of cheesy, but man, the word of God sticks in your heart when you memorize it at eight years old, nine years old. For the grace of God has been revealed to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness, And worldly lusts that we may have the power to live soberly or self-controlled, righteously and godly in this present age. It's not a when we get to heaven, wow, that'll fix all my issues. The grace of God is for you. It's the equipping. It's the fuel in your gas tank that lets you go anywhere outside of complacency and outside the bondage of sin. It's not how good you can be. And how many times you can drag yourself out of bed and get to church? God's like, great, good. But if you're not operating on my grace, you're just doing your January 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th commitment. And you're going to wear out because you're going to just go like, this is hard. Does that make sense? It's not by your human effort. It's not by your ability to be like, I will not be complacent. Because the first time that something comfy comes along, it's like, wow, that would be really good and pretty easy. You're out because you've not been charged with the fuel of God's grace in your life to overcome and take victory in the war that you're in. So stand up. We're going to wrap this up. How many of your parents ask you after Wednesday night, like, what did they talk about tonight? And you're like, I don't know, because Ben talks a lot, repeats himself sometimes, right? I get it. I get it, okay? I sit through teachings, too, and go, that was good, but I don't know what they said, okay? Here's how we're going to wrap this up. This will keep it really simple. Three questions. What? So what? Now what? Is that simple enough? What is the question? What are we talking about? This week, we declare war on complacency. On being happy with the status quo and looking just like everybody else because we know we're called to something greater. That's the what. So what? Because you'll die and end up locked in bondage to a stupid floating chair playing virtual warfare on your Xbox. I mean, virtual golf. That's, I, I don't want to stab anybody. Okay. Just let that simmer for a minute. <laughs> Declare war on just doing life without purpose. To get a high score on a video game no one's going to care about in five years because it'll be old. Right? I know the girls are like, absolutely. The guys are like, don't do that, Ben. Like, (laughs) come on. (laughs) Stop it, right? So what? That's the deal. Why? Why does it matter that you declare war on complacency? Because complacency... Keeps you trapped and the enemy, the enemy, you don't have to be living your life in sin for the enemy to win. Do you know that? I'll say it again. What should I? You don't have to be living a life of sin for the enemy to win in your life. He's happy to keep you in neutral. He's real happy for you just to go, like, okay, just get there. I don't know. Whoever comes along and pushes me this way, I'll go that way, and then my friends will drag me over here, and whatever, I don't care, I'm not trying to do anything wrong, I'm pretty good, I'm better than some people, guess I'll go to heaven when it's all over with. Satan's happy for you to think that way, real happy. Because nobody's going to go to war in neutral and win. Right? So that's our theme. Like we're getting in your face a little bit because it's stupid, stupid, stupid to live in a world where it's just like, I'll just float and see what happens, you know? Because the enemy's got a plan, do you? And if the enemy's got a plan and you walk out there on the battlefield like, oh, just whatever, done. He'll keep you in neutral and be happy about it. So that's the so what. Now what? Do something with it. Every morning when you wake up this week, here's the challenge. Say, God, I need the grace to live above this complacency that I see all around me. I need you to come with your Holy Spirit. Fill me up and give me the grace to live above it so that I can live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And the people will go, who is that that speaks with such authority? Are you afraid that they're going to be like, ah, it's one of those dumb Christians that are literally like, they just hate everybody. No, because that's not what Jesus was. Nobody ever goes, wow, that Jesus guy just walks around and hates everybody. He is the most radical Christian there's ever been. But he did it with love. He did it with authority because he knew what he was here for and he knew the enemy had a plan and he had a better one. So ask God for the grace every morning. Don't be like, God, I'm going to commit to do this. Just ask like we prayed at the end of worship. Is your desire there? Do you care? Do you give a crap? Are you happy to live in neutral and continue to lose the battles? Because I know you all can say, yeah, I know what it means to lose the battle. If you're losing battles over and over and over again, maybe it's time for a different plan. Because obviously the enemy is outdoing you in some way, shape, or form. If your plan is inferior to his, but God's plan is not inferior to, God, to the to the enemies; it's far superior. So where do you find a new game plan? Where do you find God's game plan, war plan, strategy? In His Word. In prayer, direct from his mouth when you ask and say, God, speak. Show me by your Holy Spirit. Reveal stuff that doesn't, I've read this before. Right? John 3.16, we, we can all say it, but have we got revelation of it? Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him. Wait, is that me? Whosoever will not perish but live everlasting eternal life? It's when a verse becomes not just like, wow, that's a really nice verse for all the world. But when it says, "Ah, whoa, that's me. (laughs) He sent his son for me. Revelation upon revelation upon revelation upon revelation. When you ask for it. And stop sitting back going, God, just impress me. Come on. He's already impressed you. It's time to wake up and acknowledge it. Say, God, take take me to the next step. Take me to the next level. I'm desperate because this world doesn't work. The current system sucks. Put your hands in the air. God, I just pray for your grace to be released through this room tonight, God, that whatever your spirit's doing right now, In each and every heart, God, like whether it's conviction, whether it's just stirring, whether it's just this like bubbling or fire in their bellies, God, whatever you're doing in this room right now, God, as you call hearts closer to you, distribute the grace, God. And you never run out, God. So throw more grace upon grace upon grace on these young people to walk tomorrow out with authority in your kingdom that wrecks the plans of the enemy. God, it's not by their good works, God. But by your grace poured out in us, God. Teach us to be desperately hungry, God. For more of you and more of your grace this week, God. In your awesome name we pray. Amen.
0: This podcast was recorded live at a Wednesday night youth meeting. To find out more, check us out on Facebook and Instagram by searching Airborne Youth.